This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. From the TCL studios, it's Mackie and Judd. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. On first down, here's Cook. A lot of room. And Dalvin Cook. A big run on first down. Forced out by Jackson, but a carry of 32 yards. What did you do to get the offense back to rolling a little bit better? Uh, same thing I've been saying all year. You think we're the ball enough today? No. Hey, Mike, you've mentioned doing, uh, possibly addressing doing a better job on game day, just kind of where your attention is. Uh, what do you think you need to start with in terms of doing that? Uh... Maybe letting George do a little bit more of the adjustments on defense, maybe. But I don't know. I haven't decided that yet, so we'll just have to see. You know, when, when things are going smooth, it's no issue. Then I can go talk to the offense all I want. When things are, you know, helter-skelter on defense, then, you know, I'm spending a little bit more time with them or with the special team. So that's just part of it. Matthew Collar joins the show now, and you just heard three sound bites. The first one was a Delvin Cook's 32-yard run, which was his – Longest of the day yesterday, in which he actually was very successful when he carried the ball, Matthew, but it was only nine times. The second was Zim talking immediately after the game, expressing frustration with the fact that uh, his OC, John Filippo didn't call for more run plays because he only called for 13. And I agree with Mike. I just say that's on Mike as well, if not more than the uh, play caller, because he's the head coach. And the final one then was Mike talking about the fact that on game day, he is so tied up with defensive calls that concentrating on offense obviously becomes a little bit dicey for him because that would mean taking some of the defensive calls off his plate. I want to start there with you because here's my frustration. Mike Zimmer's title is not head coach of the Vikings defense. Mike Zimmer's title is head coach of the Vikings. I appreciate the fact he loves defense. I appreciate the fact he's good at coordinating defense. But for all that he gets upset with Flip about the amount of times that the Vikings run or don't run the ball, this falls back on him. He needs to be the one responsible for the the product that was on the field yesterday on every side of the ball. Special teams, offense, and defense goes back on one guy, Mike Zimmer. So I guess I would have to fully understand how every other coach does this to know if it's all that unusual because it seems to me like there are Quite a few head coaches that focus on their side of the ball, but maybe not call the defense. And then a lot of coaches are sort of doing everything, but not they're not calling anything, but they're both sides of the ball. And then there's someone like Zimmer, who has always been all in 
with the defense. And and he'll say over and over, oh, I help on the offense, I help on the offense. But then the quote you just played was clearly in the games, he's not helping on the offense. At the same time, from the middle of 2016 until the end of 2017, he didn't have to because he had a veteran offensive coordinator who was very smart. And even with the New York Giants, I know that Pat Shermer's gotten criticized a bunch for their record, but they have a pretty efficient passing game considering who they have throwing the football. A guy that has been washed up for about five years now in Eli Manning, and he's got a career-high quarterback rating under Pat Shermer. And they're averaging 7.7 yards per attempt, which is... Quite a bit higher than the Minnesota Vikings right now. And that's Pat Shermer. He's really, really good at his job. And that's why he got hired in New York. And so with Zimmer, I I don't think it's crazy to say, yeah, okay, he expected to hand the job over to a guy who had been an offensive coordinator before in DeFilippo and have him do it the same way that Pat Shermer did it. And now we get deep into the season. I think where you can criticize Zimmer is instead of making some of the fixes, He has just sort of taken little jabs here or there. We should have done this. We should have done that. But before the Green Bay game, it was very clear he went around and he met with Kyle Rudolph and he met with Kirk Cousins, and they solved a lot of the problems in that Green Bay game. They threw screen passes to Delvin Cook for big gains. They threw to Kyle Rudolph in key situations, as this team has done for a decade now, and it's worked. Uh, You know, They did all these things. They got Kirk Cousins moving on the play action and the bootlegs and where he's good. And then all of that stuff just went by the wayside when they went back to New England. And that was what was so confusing to me. So where is the disconnect? It seemed that Zimmer sort of yanked the reins away a little bit before Green Bay and said, this is how we're doing it. I'm meeting with all these people. I'm telling you what works. And then it did. Right. And then they go away from that in New England. Right. And I don't get that. Two thi- but two things that jump out at you about what you just said. Number one is, you know as well as I do, the fact that Zimmer felt it necessary to involve himself in, in the offensive game plan for the Packers game is just fine. He's he's the head coach, right. and if he chooses to, he absolutely should. But that does not mean a fix is done. You need to continue to do that. Like, it's it's obvious that DeFilippo and Zimmer don't necessarily mesh or agree on, on how the offense is called. So, number one is, Mike had to be as involved in, in the week going up to the Patriots game as he was in the Packers game, and it's pretty clear from the quotes he was not. The other thing is, when did we start talking last week about the fact that the Patriots were going to take away Thielen and Diggs? Tuesday? Yeah. Monday? It was pretty clear that that was going to be I mean, you could have, but they could have come to you. They could have called you at home and been like, Matthew, you look at a lot of film, what do you think? And you would have said, your game plan cannot involve relying on Diggs and Thielen as primary. If if they come open, great. But they can't be your reliant players. Your reliant player probably should be Dalvin Cook. We talked about that. So this is what frustrates me is, once again, if people, if fans, media, people like us can sit here and hypothesize and be right, how are they wrong? Like, how are they they still saying, we're going to have Cousins drive the ball downfield? And they could have asked you that on Wednesday of last week, and you would have said, you're dummies, don't do that. And that didn't happen either. And that's where we kind of end up going in circles here. But to your point, uh, did you see what Dave Campo tweeted, former head coach in Dallas? uh, Was that a legit tweet? Yeah. Okay, I couldn't decide if that that was a a real account or not, but it looks like it is. I I did see it, but yes, He's followed by all these other... uh, you know, people in the NFL media. So I would assume that that is the the real Dave Campo. He is followed by Adam Schefter, 
Okay. So I'm, I'm assuming go this ahead. is yep. the real account. It's a good tweet. And he says, it looks like Zimmer is not heeding my advice and making the same mistake I did when I was Dallas's head coach. When Norv Turner quit, I texted Zimmer and said, make sure you're doing exactly what you want on offense or you'll be the next one out. Looks like he is on his way. And so I think that that is one of the big issues here is that Zimmer knows what works on offense um, and he saw it work last year. And if they used a lot of those similar things from last year with Case Keenum, it, to, you've made this point before about treating uh, Kirk Cousins like he's a top quarterback when really he needs to be protected in similar ways Keenum did. And I agree uh-huh. with I agree with that part. I agree that he needs to be protected. They need to form the cocoon to some extent of using play action, using screens, using the running game to dominate on offense, protecting the ball as long as you can, creating third down and shorts. Play to his strengths. Yeah, and and that's the thing is that when the guy puts up 4,000 yards three years in a row, I think there's almost an impression that he can do things that he can't do. And look at his offensive coordinators and the people who are working around Kirk Cousins when he put up those numbers. Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Jay Gruden. These are the most brilliant offensive minds that are out there who he had. And so if if you're not following their same model, that's where it's confusing to me because he was a play-action, bootleg, all-the-time type of guy under those offensive minds, but not so much here. And there's where I, I just don't get it. I, I feel like Filippo has sort of done things the way he wants to do it and a lot of the ways they did it in Philadelphia. When I, when I go back and look at the film... I will see, like, oh, that's a Philadelphia play. That's a Philadelphia play. That's a Philadelphia play. And that's fine. But Carson Wentz can do special things that Kirk Cousins can't do, especially when it comes to the pocket presence. And that's another that's another thing here. As we go round and round and round, whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? It's like it's just the pie chart of blame. But I don't you can't put it on just Steve Filippo or just Zimmer or just right. Kirk Cousins or just but the offensive fault. line. I don't want to assess fault. I want to solve it. And Mike Zimmer saying I fixed it for one week and so it's fixed, is not a solution. That's not the adult world. You need to keep going. Filippo and Cousins are your children, and you need to keep reinforcing the lessons of the Green Bay week. This is the frustrating thing. The New England game plan, the Chicago and New England offensive game plans, Matthew, are asinine. They weren't smart. No, not and, at all. And what's frustrating is if those defenses had thrown things at you and you said, Oh my God, I never saw it coming. We just flat out got beat. We just weren't good and we got beat. I'd say, okay, that's not good to hear, but it's accurate. But in both cases, we saw game plans that that you especially were talking about going into those games of what the approach should be, and they didn't come close to doing. That's not excusable. That's not good. You are you know a lot about the sport, and I appreciate that, and that's a good thing, and it's great for us here at the station. But you should not know enough about the sport that when they do things, you're saying, what the hell are you doing? And, well, and they shouldn't do things in one week like against Green Bay. Now, the, the Patriots are much smarter than Green Bay. So, the, I mean, that's obvious. Green Bay just fired its, its head coach. <laughs> and they were doing a lot of things that were very clever. And part of it was not showing Kirk Cousins what he was going to see at the line of scrimmage, what they were doing for coverage. But part of that, though, is daring the Vikings to run. When they have everyone sort of milling around and standing up and not showing him where they're going to line up, if you run against that, you could create leverage, you could create huge gains that way, running lanes. They were basically daring them to run the ball more often, and the Vikings didn't take what they were given in in that case. And Mm -hmm. with Cousins, it's one of his shortcomings that if his first read is not there— and it isn't the simple, just go through whatever progression. 
and what he sees at the line of scrimmage that he's going to have trouble. And this is why I like the idea of getting him out on, on the roll, on the bootleg, because that gives him some time. It, usually you're not pressured or sacked on the bootleg, so you're rolling out, and you can keep your eyes downfield and go through your progressions on the move or just wing it out of bounds. It's a lot. I think it's a lot easier in that case. When he's just in the pocket, he just stands in one spot. And sometimes if the defense has fooled him at the line of scrimmage, I, I saw this yesterday, three and a half seconds to a sack, which is forever, just standing there looking and looking and looking and couldn't find what he was looking for and then just takes a sack. But this is the thing. that They have not effectively throughout the whole season worked around what Kirk Cousins struggles with. They have more just asked him to run an offense. And that's my problem with But this. as opposed to tailoring it to him, which is something that Filippo talked about with Nick Foles. Like, they did this with Nick Foles in Philadelphia. We worked the RPOs. He was good at them. We worked with them. But with Kirk Cousins, it has only occasionally been the case. How much do you sense that they're involving players as well in game planning and and in ideas? I have not heard that at all from anyone. Um, I have. And not, Shermer did do that, correct? I heard it constantly about Shermer. Okay, which is a great idea because that allows you to play the guy's strengths. And they and they do to some extent. I mean, they, they use Adam Thielen in the slot, and that's really effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, when Adam Thielen scored the touchdown, it was one where I looked at the TV and said oh my gosh, they're going to score a touchdown to Adam Thielen because just the way the coverage was and they were giving him room off the line of scrimmage, like he is going to score on this play because he's got a free release and if he gets a free release, he could do whatever he wants. So they're using him properly. And with Delvin Cook, it's occasionally. So like in week one, they handed to Cook a lot. They threw short passes to Cook. In week two, they line him up as a slot receiver. But out of his 300 snaps this year, 15 is a receiver. I, I need much more and than his that. Cousins being so, looped in a lot. I, I don't see that. That's the, that's I don't the key think one. So I don't think so. I have that's not the key gotten one that impression. Me. I have not gotten that impression that it's a collaborative effort. I have gotten the impression more that it is John D. Filippo and to maybe to some extent Kirk Cousins. But I I have not heard anyone say, "Oh yeah, we're all a part of this. Everyone has a voice." That's what we heard consistently last year, and that is not what I hear at all this year. And you have guys who are really, really brilliant. And it really was telling to me yesterday that Stephon Diggs did not talk after the game. I agree with that. Because that's a guy who probably realized if I talk, I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret or feel pretty bad about. And it's not going to be about that game in particular. Yeah, it's going to be bigger picture, so he decided not to. TCL Broadcast Studios, take a break. Zolgad, Collar, and a Hill, 1500 ESPN. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Gentlemen, to the medicine cabinet. On 1500 ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here. And uh, you guys are doing a much better job driving on the roads today. I only have one crash to tell you about right now. If on uh, That's on 52 uh, looks like northbound between Butler Avenue and Highway 156. Uh, that's uh, Concord Street in West St. Paul. There's a crash there, but it doesn't look to be backing things up too much. So uh, continue to drive safe out there, folks. All right, Mackie and Judd fill out today. Matthew Collar and Manny Hill, Jonathan behind the scenes. I've got something here, Matthew Collar, from uh, Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, posted early this morning that I would like to ask you about. And it's about the uh, it's about his feelings on the dissolving relationship between Zim and John D. Filippo, the Vikings' offensive coordinator. I'm going to read you a, gr- a couple paragraphs and get your thoughts. 
Florio writes, the efforts of current offensive coordinator John DiFilippo to get a head coaching job by dialing up plays aimed at generating more buzz that he's a candidate to become a head coach as soon as 2019. It reminds me of the latter year of two of Hugh Jackson's prior tenure in, in Cincinnati. He was coming up with funky formations and trick plays as part of a not-so-subtle effort to become a head coach again. It seems like DiFilippo may be doing something similar, showcasing his skills in designing and calling potentially explosive plays instead of relying as much as he should on a meat-and-potatoes approach. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. Tough sell. The only tough sell. Florio is a big-time Viking fan. He is. Who has sources within... TCO Performance Center. That's the that's what makes this to me a little bit more intriguing. Now they someone might feel that way and might be telling Mike Florio that that's how it is. I just think it's a tough sell. I don't think this has been one of the more creative offenses in the NFL. I think it's been okay and it's as far as using some trick plays and things like this, but um, I do think that there is a simplicity required for this offense to succeed. And against Green Bay, in looking at the film last week, I pulled a few clips of them using the most basic NFL concepts that have been used since the West Coast offense was invented by the Cincinnati Bengals in the late 60s. Like mesh concepts. I mean, that's just two guys running past each other. Whoever's hoping you throw them the ball. But it works. When one of the guys is Adam Thielen, the other guy is Kyle Rudolph, that works, right? And uh, that's what it usually is about. Out. That is a Pat Shermer thing. Was it's not the players, or it's not the plays, it's the players. You know, it's it, you're supposed to just try your best to put them in the best situations you can. And I'm not sure that's always happened. I think it is serious hyperbole to say the guy is trying to be so creative. Like why would why would you undo yourself? as far as what your offense is actually producing and the wins you're actually producing to try and convince people that you're super smart and clever by doing what someone would have to show me like every team is using all these personnel packages. Like this is not new at all. I think D Filippo is a guy who very much studies everything that everyone else is doing in the league and then tries to take from those things and put together a game plan. And I think he knows the game extremely well, but when you're in the game, that's where some issues come up because that's not game planning. That's not in an office looking at your tape and, and knowing that this this beats man coverage, this beats zone coverage. It's a little bit different. And I think what Zimmer said about panicking when they got down seven points is probably right that at some times this year they've gotten away from things because it was like, uh-oh, we're down in a game and we've got to now make something happen. We've got to get right back in this game. And maybe there has been some panic to it. But I have a really tough time with that, with the, always oh, trying to dial up these things and this and that. Well, then why aren't they taking more shots down the field? They aren't. They're one of the least aggressive passing games in the entire NFL. When you look at yards per attempt and how far the ball flies out of Kirk Cousins' hands, there is only... Two quarterbacks who have been full-time quarterbacks this year who throw the ball shorter, and that is Derek Carr in Oakland and Blake Bortles now benched in Jacksonville. Those are it for full-time quarterbacks this year. So the idea that they're trying to dial up explosive plays, well, if that's what they're doing, well, that isn't working, right? Right. So I, I don't I don't think that's it. I don't think that they're taking a bunch of shots to try and look like they're that. I So I, what is so so to that point then, what is this scheme? I think it's very difficult to put your finger on it. What's the offense? It's felt different every single week. Um, It's felt like some weeks they want Stephon Diggs to be like their playmaker guy, get it in his hands. There was a little bit of that yesterday, and it worked, and he never did it again. 
And, and it's sort of and his, he was hurt, and that might, true, might have yeah, played a role in true. that. Actually, but then, but you know, Thielen can do that too. Absolutely, Thielen can yeah. get the ball in his hands. I'm not excusing it. Yeah. I'm just saying that that, that Diggs's uh, injury might have played a role. Well, right, right, right. And but you know, you can line up uh, Delvin Cook as a wide receiver, and you could throw him the ball. And Mike Zimmer said they had plays that were supposed to go to Cook for more for bigger plays, and they ended up not getting him the ball. And I'm going to have to go try to figure out which ones those were and and so forth. But, you know, I think that that's been really part of the issue is that the things that have worked for them, they have not stuck with consistently and even just running to the outside. I and mean, for, for a lot of this season, they've just been hammering the ball up the middle. And yeah, OK, it worked against the Jets for a touchdown. It worked against the Cardinals for a touchdown. Those teams are awful. It worked against Detroit. Awful. But it doesn't always work against the better teams. But yesterday... They decide to start running Delvin sort of between the tack or not between the tackles, but a little bit more outside. And he starts finding running lanes and starts working. And then they go away from it. So I wonder if there's just with DeFilippo, it's a little less sinister than we think it is. I think it's much more of just the guy is only in his second year calling plays. Yes. And he does not have Pat Shermer's level of experience. By the time Shermer got here, he had been under Chip Kelly. He had been under Andy Reid. I mean, just like great, great offensive minds. He had already been a head coach. He had already been a head coach, right. And and so it was completely different for him with his level of experience from Filippo. And then I guess your question off of that is to replace Shermer why go with someone inexperienced when you know well, you were in a sort or, of win, win now type of mode? Or not know exactly what you were getting. Yeah. And that's yeah. on them. And this is, it's on them that this is now two of the three OCs under the current head coach who have clashed. That's on the head coach. That's on Mike at this point. Once again, this is your baby. This is your baby. And to have two of the three OCs take you by surprise or you don't like their approach, when you when you insist on focusing on the other side of the ball, that comes down on you. That's I, yeah, on Mike. That's where the reasonable criticism, I think, is when you have a guy that is inexperienced just because he came from the Super Bowl winning team as the quarterback's coach, which is nothing like being the offensive coordinator. And the last time he was an offensive coordinator, it was in the most disastrous franchise there is with no quarterback, no playmakers to work with in 2015 in Cleveland. Gary Barnage was like their only decent player, and that guy I think is out of the league now. And Johnny Manziel, out of the league now. Josh McCown is like, you know, the yeah, classic backup. I yeah. mean, this is, this is who DeFilippo is working with, his only time at, at calling plays. So the sample size for him is just extremely small. It would have been very hard to predict how he was going to actually call plays once he got in that situation. And that's where you might okay. go back, though, and say you hired the guy because he beat you in the NFC title game. Which I which I buy. But, all right, so if you just go going through the um, scenario that you just ran through, too, don't you have to make time or don't you have to consider that 2018 might not be nearly as smooth as 17 was and either uh, give the defensive coordinators some of those responsibilities. The fact that Zimmer came out today, in fact, I'll I'll find this and play it again. The fact that Mike said this today with four games left in a season in which you thought that you could go to the Super Bowl is inexcusable, given the fact that you were changing coordinators and, as you just said, hiring a guy who who had called plays for a grand total of one season. And Mike, you mentioned doing... Uh, possibly addressing doing a better job on game day, just kind of where your attention is. Uh, what do you think you need to start with in terms of doing that? Uh, 
maybe letting George do a little bit more of the adjustments on defense, maybe. But I don't know. I haven't decided that yet, so we'll just have to see. You know, when, when things are going smooth, it's no issue. Then I can go talk to the offense all I want. When things are, you know, helter-skelter on defense, then, you know, I'm spending a little bit more time with them or with the special team. So that's just part of it. Don't you need to be prepared for that? Yeah, maybe. I I, I mean... One year. The, here's, that's what he had, one but, year. But here's the thing with this offense, is that we're acting right now like it's been dog do all year. Uh-huh. It hasn't, though. And so where, from a week-to-week basis, you wouldn't blame Mike Zimmer for coming out of the Philadelphia and L.A. games and being like, okay, we're in, we're in pretty darn good shape here. And then having it sort of fall apart. And then trying to fix it and meeting with everyone uh, before the Green Bay game. And the Green Bay defense was not great, but they were like 16th in the league. It wasn't like the the Green Bay of a few years ago that was 30th. I mean, it was like an average defense, and they shredded them. So you would think, and it turns out they're probably worse than that, you know, with some injuries and whatever else, but you shred them. And so you think, okay, we've got it now. We've got what we're doing, and I don't have to have my hands on. And even through yesterday, it's 10 to 10 in the fourth quarter. And even at that point, you're like, well, we are playing the Patriots, okay? So it's 10 to 10. So, this is how the game is going. And then that's where it sort of falls apart is in, in some of these bigger situations. And that's what's happened all year in the games against the good teams is that they've been in every game, but it's like the other guy has just that little bit more on you than you have. They've got a little bit more talent but, in a lot of areas, and they've got maybe Colin, a little more experience. Mike Zimmer has opened the door completely for us to have this discussion. Oh, yes. And he has flummoxed and perplexed by things that he shouldn't be. I think that's very safe to say. I don't know about flummoxed and perplexed. Perplexed. He's perplexed I think he, I think he knows off- what the problems are. He's perplexed by why the offense isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing when ultimately he can control that completely. I think he knows what would work on this offense. And when he doesn't see it, that's where he gets frustrated and feels the need to somehow let then us know that. Right. Then make it work. Well, no, and that's what you he's saying. Bandwidth, but that's, it again. What, that's what he's saying is that, and, and it's a real indictment on DeFilippo when he says that. Maybe I've got to turn some things over to George so I could go over there and help the yes. offense. I mean, wow. Is that just like a big. You know, this guy is a problem, red blinking signs. But at the same time, that is probably what is going to be required for the rest of the season if they want to have a consistent offense is for Mike Zimmer to get more involved. He's the one that has far more experience than John Filippo. So if they're going to make that work, that's got to be how it is. But with the way that he's been so obvious about the Filippo thing, like where is that relationship now? To say today, oh, we get along great? Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. I If you guys get along great, then he really doesn't have rabbit ears, right? Then yes. he's really locked in the tape yeah, and hasn't heard. Oblivious. He doesn't have friends or family Correct. <laughs> or anything else because it's been made very obvious. So, you know, it's clear. It's not a well-kept secret that there is the headbutting here. And it's on. I, here's where I'm with you. It's on Zimmer to try and resolve this. I think the big question is, though, when you face Seattle and when you face the Bears here going down the stretch, is your quarterback going to also give you a solid performance? Because yesterday, I, I like everyone else, had issues with the game plan, mm-hmm. but also when the quarterback sits in the pocket for three and a half seconds before he gets sacked, just standing in the same spot, not moving, looking around, looking around, like that's not on anybody. That's not on Zimmer. That's not on Filippo. That's not on the offensive line. That's on the quarterback, and there were a lot of moments with the quarterback. You're down by two touchdowns with time to come back, three timeouts, you fling it into double coverage for a pick. Like that's I mean these things they're not on the offensive coordinator. 
Uh, take a break, TCL Broadcast Studios. We're going to come back. We're going to talk National Football League overall chaos. Kevin Seifert of ESPN.com joins us. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Okay, then. On 1500 ESPN. I mean, everybody likes Aaron Jones, and I like him too, but he's not Kamara, okay? We need to stop that. He's mm-hmm. okay. I take Eddie Lacy over him. So, folks, just need to stop with that. Packer event line, that, that was uh, before they found out that Mike McCarthy had been fired as head coach following an embarrassing loss to the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday. Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com, our buddy, joins us now. Where would you like to start, sir, in terms of National Football League chaos? There's so much of it now. Well, it sounds like it, Green Bay is the, uh, is the uh, center point of it right now, doesn't it? I think Mike McCarthy today is the happiest guy on the planet. I mean, that was that's nothing but a disaster, and, and he was going to be... Fired regardless, right? So you know what? You lose to the Cardinals. Aaron hates you. They call you in. They say, Mike, you're done. You say, thank you very much. I'm going to California. Yeah, I mean, it, I would imagine there's at least a level of relief that he has. And, and I think, personally, they did him a favor. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any there, doubt what was going to happen at the end of the year. And, in fact, Mark Murphy, the team president and CEO, said uh, as much today that they were going to fire him at the end of the year. And instead of having you know a month's worth of, questions uncomfortable increasingly uncomfortable questions about it and uh the indignity of of playing out the string when everybody knows they're not making the playoffs and they should probably be making the playoffs and that a firing and an overhaul is coming they, you know just get get you know be done with it now uh, and move on and frankly that's the easy part of the equation the hard part is number one finding somebody to replace them and fix it and number two fixing it here <laughs> Uh, it's not as if it's simply a matter of swapping in a new coach and all of a sudden everything is back to the way it was in the heyday. Kevin, uh, Odds Shark, I know you're a big Odds Shark fan. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have uh, released the odds for the next head coach of the Packers. Josh McDaniels, number one. Lincoln Riley is the is number two. There are numbers that are next to these that I don't understand because I don't bet on stuff. But uh, number three on the list is John Filippo. Can you make sense of that to me, that Filippo is being talked about, even by Troy Aikman on the broadcast, yeah. as a potential Packers head coach? But the Vikings offense, last time I checked, has its head coach calling out the offensive coordinator pretty much on a weekly basis. Yeah, and that's a real that part of it is a really interesting part because I don't know where, you know, the the sort of NFL, you know, smart people will will land on that. Uh it is not necessarily a great look for an offensive coordinator if your head coach is calling you out, but we already know that this is a head coach and a and a team that has had trouble um, before with the offensive coordinator. You know, Norv Turner, as we remember, um, ended up just just you know busting town in the middle of a season, and and really what was an unprecedented move. And that move has not really been explained. But now we have a second situation where it's not anything close to that, I don't think. But you still have that um, at least public disagreement about direction of game plans, and so. Will people necessarily think that's a, uh, you know, a mark against John D. Filippo, or will that be something that's added to the list of things that have happened uh, to the Vikings with Mike Zimmer as head coach? I don't know, but that's 
that's something to think of as well. Uh, John Filippo has been sort of on the ladder uh, for a while. He was a very young offense coordinator in Cleveland. Uh, his association with the Super Bowl champions last year and as the quarterback's coach who brought along Carson Wentz was without question a legitimate addition to an uh, impressive resume. Uh, he definitely has a commanding personality and the type of person that you hear talk and see uh, and think, well, that's a head coach material. And so half the battle is that in terms of getting his name on media lists uh, for head coaching jobs, uh, on, on lists of, of Las Vegas odds. You know, that's that's part of the game there. And so in the end, you know, teams will have to make a decision based on criteria we'll never fully be exposed to. But if the question is why is John Filippo on, on the so many public lists, at least for, you know, the next and greatest NFL head coach, I think that explains partially why. Hey, so how do you distribute blame here? Because I... Zim now in, in the, everybody. Well, I I do that, but two times now in in the past three weeks, Zim has sort of piped up about we're not doing what we should be doing offensively, and we should be doing this and that. And I keep coming back to Mike. Your business card does not say head coach defense Vikings. It says head coach. So if he's frustrated by the game plan, that's his fault. Like it. Like if the game gets away offensively. From from the Vikings and Zim comes back and says that shouldn't happen. He has to look at, at the coordinator certainly as well, but he has to look at himself first. I think Kevin. Yeah, and I mean, there's two separate issues going on here because one is is, is he really not doing what Zimmer wants? Um, you know, and and is that be, you know an open rebellion or is it simply that defenses are you know in, lining up in a way that is encouraging more passing than running from the Vikings? Uh, and, and the second thing is, is that the smart thing to do? Should you be focused in this day and age on running the ball more, or should you be a pass-first offense? Um, and, the, the, you know, a lot of people would suggest that the way to have a balanced offensive attack at the end of a game in terms of how the numbers of runs, the numbers of passing, is to start by passing, get the lead that way, and then start running the ball, you know, after that to, to eat up clock. Uh, and to and to um, you know to to against a defense that's already been been chasing around in the past, and so that doesn't have to be for every team. I'm sure it's not what's familiar to Mike Zimmer. I'm sure he would like to run a lot on first down. Um, you know, I don't know if that is the way to win uh, in the NFL these days in terms of getting enough points. You know, no matter how good your defense is. I think the the focus needs to be as much on passing early on early in the game and on first down as you can. And so I don't know what he's asking. I don't know if he's asking him to run more on on first downs early in the game and and be balanced throughout or do they just are they just not shifting that gear from the passing in the beginning of the game to more running later. I, you know, I'm not sure which is the case, but I think uh the the the, the latter would be more favorable than the former. Kevin, I'm having a tough time figuring out, reading between the lines, with what exactly Zimmer wants from the offense, too. I mean, it's not particularly succeeding. I mean, they're middle of the pack in pretty much everything. And when you have two elite receivers, a super talented running back, solid tight end, like even if your offensive line isn't perfect, it should probably be better than this uh, with Kirk Cousins as the quarterback. But I look at the running game specifically. There's a stat the NFL Next Gen has about how often your running back runs with eight men in the box. And uh-huh. Delvin Cook is one of the lowest percentage, meaning that he rarely runs against eight men in the box. You know who else rarely runs against eight men in the box? 
Todd Gurley, Aaron Jones, Tariq Cohen, guys who average a lot of yards per carry and are sort of that playmaker type. So I think when they are running him, they've generally done it the right way. It's just I, I, I'm not sure what Zimmer wants there more. Is it you got to run to mix things up for the opposing defense to set up the play action where Kirk Cousins is really good and maybe they haven't used it enough? That That's where I'm still having trouble getting a full read on that because every time Zimmer dips his toe in, he sort of backs out and like, oh, but I'm not telling you. Yeah, and and it's really complicated for or t- difficult for anyone in the public to to know exactly along those lines. You know, I was talking to actually talking to John D. Flippo last week for a story that I'm doing about the uh, league wide offensive um, explosion this year. And what he talked about is a lot of teams are you know bringing this is more than ever becoming a a, a one a, sa- a single safety um, defense yeah. league. You know, there's more there's more occasions when you have one safety back and one safety near the line of scrimmage to try to stop the run than you than you've had. It sounds strange knowing how successful teams have been passing, but that's what you're seeing a lot of looks for. And then, so a lot of offenses, including the Vikings, when they see that look, that's a passing look. You're not going to run in that situation. And and he brought up the the Eagles game where I think they ran on or they passed on seven of their first ten plays against the Eagles. I think it was, and he said maybe. I think it was three or four of those were basically option type plays mm-hmm. that, depending whether that safety was down or not, they would run or pass, and it was down, so they passed. So it wasn't as if they're coming out guns a blazing. You know, they're they're trying to to run plays that are best suited for the defense they're seeing. And so it sounds incongruous that teams are actually setting up to stop the run and forcing teams to pass, but. Maybe that's you know that's many defensive coordinators are thinking well they're you know teams are going to get yards but if we can just keep it in front of us we'll we'll be okay and so they're, they're trying to prevent the deep passes but allowing you know encouraging teams to throw short and so that uh, is one of the many many thing obstacles from our side to really knowing what these guys are talking about is that even when when you pass the ball it could easily be out of a running play. Do you think, Kevin, this is a theory called running play, I this, Right. This is a theory of mine that I wonder with DeFilippo if the lack of experience is a bit of an issue and to not have Zimmer really help him like maybe other head coaches would because he's so focused on the defense might be problematic. And you feel like you're he's only in his second year calling plays in these games, but yet, you know, the head coach is blaming you and yet leaving everything on your table and not having himself be responsible or even giving you a hand when he sees something. Yeah, I, I honestly, on that regard, I honestly think the only difference we're seeing here, and maybe I'm wrong, but the only difference is that Zimmer occasionally says it publicly um, because he's just kind of one of those people that when you ask him a question, he, he answers it um, you know, and uh, about his true feelings on something he often does. Um, I don't think that that a, a gen, like a head coach going to the offensive coordinator saying, I don't want this, I want this, uh, is, is uncommon as we probably think. I think it probably happens a lot on a week-to-week basis. And really the one difference is that when asked about it, Zimmer is, is saying, yes, I do want different things, and no, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I would bet that behind the scenes a lot more coaches communicate that the same way, you know, the same type of thing to their offensive coordinators every week. So that, but that does add a level of pressure to it because now everyone is, is kind of locked in and focused on it on a weekly basis uh, because it's been mentioned publicly. But I don't think that Zimmer Zimmer's sentiments are too much different than what you, I would bet a lot of defensive-minded coaches are behind the scenes with their offensive coordinators. 
Help me out here, sir. I am. I've been struggling w- with this since Friday. After Ray Rice, and after the hell that the league went through, and it was deserved. The Kareem Hunt thing. How does that happen? How do you? How do you have this unfold? It's another tape. TMZ beats you to it again. Just everything. I don't get it. And furthermore, what I don't get is Roger Goodell still ha- has a job. And this, to me, okay. It happened once, and and it was not excusable at all. But you think to yourself, there's going to be, if nothing else by the league, a lesson learned. It doesn't look like they learned a damn thing, Kevin. No, you could you could uh, just give the basic details of the Hunt story and, and compare it to the Ray Rice story or to the Robert Mueller report off of the Ray Rice story and say, like, what has changed, if anything? Um, I guess it goes to that you, you, you find the things you're looking for and you don't find the things you're not looking for. And so... Amazingly, as it sounds, you know, obviously the human side of it is ridiculous yeah. and inexcusable. But even if you're just like a craven business person, how could, wouldn't you think that a strong uh, policy that's well established and maintained on domestic violence would be good for business too? Or, and the opposite being true that a poorly managed one that creates situations like this is bad for business. So even if you, are just so craven that you don't care who's hitting who and who is smacking what and this and that. Like, wouldn't you think that a business as big as the NFL would feel incentivized to to to, to uh, enforce their policy for that reason alone? And that's what makes it crazy. I do think that the discussion on the video uh, acquisition is more complicated than we're giving credit for. Um, you know, I don't know how TMZ gets these videos. We can probably guess. Mm-hmm. And we can also probably wonder whether, you know, a big company, if they followed the same tactics that a TMZ or another media outlet might follow to get it, whether they would be exposed to legal liability. I don't think that you can just, you know, acquire something that is supposed to be legally protected um, as a business to use against your employers, employees, uh, without any kind of consequence, or at least without permission. And it appears as though they're going through formal channels to get these videos and being denied and just stopping there. Uh, media outlets with First Amendment rights and all those sort of things, you know, I would think have more of an ability to, to do that, frankly, than the NFL. And so I don't know, honestly, what the answer is in terms of acquiring these videos, but it seems as though even if you can't get the video, can you talk to somebody who's seen it? Can you find a way to talk to the people who were there? You can't. It, you it, whether you see the video or not, it's hard to imagine how you can keep getting beat to, in the game of finding out the information, finding out the truth of what happened, yep. as they seem to be getting beat on. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Okay, Take care. Guys. All right. Kevin Seifert, ESPN.com, does outstanding work. Uh, check him out at that website. We are up, up against the clock. Take a break. Come back. TCL Broadcast Studios. People, people, I have an important announcement. Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. Now, back to Mackie and Judd. Hello, boy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. So what do you think? <laughs> it's pretty cool, I guess. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check out traffic here very quickly. 94, we've got a crash eastbound between Dale Street and uh, Marion Street and Kellogg Boulevard in St. Paul. That's causing a five-minute delay. Be careful, folks.
We got some National Hockey League breaking news. In fact, can I find the breaking news sounder here? Do you think, Manny, it might take me a if second If not, we here. could just have Jonathan make some noises. <laughs> That's it. That sounds good. Jonathan, open your mic. Go, go ahead. Make some noises. Breaking news. Philadelphia PA. This just in. Chuck Fletcher is the new general manager of the Philadelphia Hockey Flyers, a franchise that's been around since 1967, a very storied franchise. He, of course, was the wild GM for nine seasons before being fired last spring. Matthew Collar, your thoughts about this breaking news? Well, he's already traded for Marcus Foligno to add a little grit and sandpaper to the quad. Uh, Fletcher just traded every prospect the Flyers had, which was 14 players. We're going to bring back the Broad Street Bullies. We're going to bring them back to Philadelphia. Uh, so, is it is it wrong of me to look at Chuck Fletcher like, I think he was a pretty good GM overall yep. who bet on the wrong guys. Basically, like he he put down his bets on Granlin, Coyle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the the same core and it didn't work, and that's it. And, and that's that, very fair. That that's and he got salary cap strapped because the owner wanted Parisi and Suter signed, which I will never say was it wasn't his idea. And, and if you think about it from the perspective of like a game plan, okay, you're going to sign Parisi and Suter. Mm-hmm. Now what? Well, you have to start raising prospects, but without top picks without number one picks. So how are you going to do it? You are going to get some pretty solid prospects that aren't perfect. You're going to try to put them together and hope those two elite players carry you. Those two elite players didn't carry you and the prospects, some of them turned out to be really good. Granlund is really good, but he's not a great, great player. And so the bet ended up failing and some of the scrambling after the bet was failing, that's where it fell off. Take a break, uh come back. We have talked about Fault when it comes to the Vikings head coach today, the OC as well. Let's come back and let's hear from Matthew Collar about the quarterback because that's an interesting part of this discussion as well as the Vikings right now are not a playoff team. The Mackey and Judd Show will continue in a moment. So long, losers! On 1500 ESPN.